back to another episode of the Mid-America MHTTC Minute. My name is Annie and I'll be your host today. In this episode, we'll be continuing the conversation around our newest series, the Leadership Institute Community of Practice. This series is produced in collaboration between our partners, the Mid-America Prevention Technology Transfer Center and the Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center. Our next installment of this series is titled Equity and Inclusion in Behavioral Health Work and will be led by Sean Sorrell. Sean stopped by the podcast this week and I'm excited to share with you our conversation on his path to working in equity and inclusion as well as what attendees can expect from his upcoming presentation on July 21st. So hello, Sean. Hello, Annie. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's been certainly a pleasure. Yes, we're happy to have you here. So tell me a little bit about you as well as your professional background. Uh, Absolutely. I'm not a native to the Midwest region. I'm actually a native to the East Coast. I let people know that because how I may speak or things I may say and words I may enunciate may come across a little bit differently. Um, however, it's the East Coast. That's not Maine to Florida. It's the small region, the Mid-Atlantic region, born in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, Charm City, and moved to Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love, sisterly affection, and then most recently resided in the state of Delaware, our first state. And now I'm in uh, Minnesota. I'm in the great state of Minnesota. I've been there for about 10 years now. So that's a little bit about my my background. So it kind of gives you an idea of who I am. And I'm very much rooted in talking loud, perhaps fast. So feel free to slow me down. Um, And I also talk very and move very intentionally. How did you get into this line of work? What drew you into working in equity and inclusion? Many of the viewers may not see, but I like to say that I'm old. I was born in the early 70s, 1970 to be exact. You do the math, you find out, yes, I'm almost a card-carrying AARP member. But the idea is that this work for me was rooted in social justice, right? And what is social justice about? Civil rights about equity. But the other piece about it is about inclusion. Inclusion, because what people want is to be included in an equitable manner. And I got in this particular work uh, just for growing up in the city. Uh, My uh, mother uh, worked for the city, uh, did work with the uh, elderly. Uh, My brother was very in tune with working with youth in the city. Uh, I I grew up in a space of of poverty and knowing what it's like to not be of the haves, quite often of the have-nots. Uh, So I uh, got into the work of working in social justice through an organization called Physicians for Social Responsibility. That's not a shameless plug, but it is an organization that was designed around nuclear proliferation. And in the work that I used to do in Philadelphia in the community was just around working with communities and youth around violence prevention, social justice for families in need and their youth and their children. And through that particular work, because my actual background in education is in chemical engineering. That's a whole nother conversation, by the way, that we pretty sure don't have, have the time for today. But in that particular work and working in community and, and just wanting justice, you know, seeking it uh, growing up in Baltimore, then moving to Philadelphia and seeking justice in my community, 
is really what embedded me in this particular work. And then it just expanded as my life began to change. I've gotten older and different opportunities came available. And that's how I really got into this work. I guess my first true step into the work of, do you want to talk about justice and equity, was through the state of Delaware. I had owned a business, uh, was doing work with youth. And they said, hey, come work with us in our corrections institutions as a mentor to youth in our detention centers. And I started that type of work and said, you know, I get it, the detention piece. I wanted to see what things were like, and maybe I could make change from the inside. And through some changes in society and just the global landscape, I decided to uh, work for the state and start to get into treatment work and equity and behavioral sciences type of work. And, And that's where I began to expand my learning and education into sociology, psychology, and criminal justice. And that kind of sparked my interest deeper into the work from a lens of public service. Why don't you next give me a brief explanation of your presentation, which is called Equity and Inclusion in Behavioral Health Work. Absolutely. So a little bit, I I dabbled a little bit in in my background. So I I have worked in child mental health uh, for a number of years, working uh, in in crisis and uh, RTC, residential treatment center facilities institutions. And in those particular spaces, I I learned quite a bit around treatment, right? Treatment and inclusion and just the behavioral health work. Transitioning to the work that I currently do for Hennepin County as the diversity, equity, and inclusion department manager. Over the years, I've uh, again worked in a treatment facility with youth here, but transitioning to this particular role around equity and justice. We do a lot of work in the behavioral health and the behavioral health field of treatment. And we do it with the work of treatment courts. And that's really about how do individuals become whole again? It's a a restorative justice practice. So instead of just penalizing the individual for that criminal behavior, but how do we restore them? So this behavioral health component that we're we're hopefully going to uh, speak to in my workshop, it's going to really talk about and try to cover three specific things. And one is just discussing equity versus equality. What does that actually mean? Because often we talk about, well, let's make sure everyone gets the same thing. Well, we're talking about equal access, but what does that equal access look like? Someone might need a little bit more help and there where it's no longer equitable or, or should I say it's no longer equal equality, but it's more equitable in the sense of they're getting what they need. So how is that changing organizations and how they look at things? Also, I'll be talking about advocacy, advocacy in our work workplace culture, because everyone's on a different spectrum, right? Especially when you talk about political spectrum. And often in the behavioral health space, the conversation is, is it rehabilitation or are we correcting something? And it's like, well, why isn't it a both and? It's a both and in this particular space of how do we do this work? still maintaining, okay, we may be on whatever side of the political aisle or spectrum or whatever side, because sometimes it's a sickler and not just this straight linear conversation. But what are the things that we need to consider in our organizations around the workplace culture to make those who are providing the treatment or providing resources to those services, how they're thinking and how we're nurturing their equity, their inclusion around this particular work. And then the third thing is really trying to discuss what are those restorative justice components and things that we can do in the workplace that ensuring that as we're connecting individuals to the services that they need around behavioral health, are we including those family members? 
those community members or those who harm was done to in that particular case. Because void of what others may say, that there are pe- peopleless crimes. Mm-hmm. I could be using the wrong terminology. No, they, they, they say victimless crime, right? Mm-hmm. No, there, there's always a victim. There's always a harm. The individual themselves who may have committed that harm, but there's also their harm to their anyone that loves them or concerned about them or the community at large. So the third thing I just wanted to talk more about is uh, how do we look at this behavioral health work through a restorative lens? What can someone expect coming away from this? What can they walk away with? You're kind of asking me my passions in a, in a sense of, I, I like to leave people with something along this thought, this thought. And it's along the lines of what can we do when we start to think about equity and inclusion. And I often tell people to walk away with, how do we become a minority? And you may say, well, what what do you mean there, Sean? So now understanding the audience I'll be speaking to and who may present, they may come from the dominant culture. One of the things I want to let people know, I am not talking about blackface. All right. We're not becoming a minority with regards to blackface. What I mean by that, going through those spaces. So you're in the space of behavioral health. You're often working with people around behavioral health. Well, going to spaces of behavioral health, when it's talked about neurodiversity, uh, different ages and abilities, gender, sexual orientation, even foreign language, going into those spaces and then you start to learn and feel, okay, these behaviors, they need help around these particular spaces, but are we trying to make that help so they assimilate to how we are, or how do we help them around the spaces and the culture that they're familiar with so that they can be productive members of society? So when I say make yourself a minority, is go into those spaces where you are not the dominant. As I show up as an African-American male, I try to go into spaces where there aren't I subscribe to be a Protestant Christian. So I go to a space where that isn't the dominant culture. I go into a space where it isn't the dominant culture of an African-American male from the East Coast with dreadlocks. I go into those spaces where individuals may be challenges with hair growth, right? Challenges with, uh, so we just had pride, right? I identify as a heterosexual, cisgender, but I go into those spaces so that I can learn and get comfortable in those spaces. And then when those conversations come up, I can better support and better provide the services that they're actually looking for. Why is this something that you are so clearly passionate about? Absolutely. So to complete that thought with regards to my my growing up and my life experiences. So growing up in Baltimore and in Philadelphia, those are spaces and places where people of color are in the majority. And they've been in prominent positions such as mayor, CEO, and the like. Uh, Philadelphia, or should I say Pennsylvania, hasn't been a governor as of yet, but certainly in Maryland and in spaces. So I grew up in these spaces where I saw people that looked like me doing very well, although I was living in poverty. So I thought it was something other than race, right, for me. And I thought it was more, okay, social economics. And as I grew up in life and started to see where there's still a community being marginalized, although it's in the majority, I said, whoa, there's something else at play here. So I became more passionate around this work and then talking about being a minority is because of that othering thing that goes on because, oh, that's the other people because of this. Oh, that's the other. We don't do what those people do. And I said, well, why not? So I was blessed, even though growing up in, in, in an element of poverty, to be a German exchange student. And being able to experience that abroad learning and living gave me a space to say, you know what, there is something different here for me. There's something else to see and experience. And I can't just other people like those Europeans over there and, uh, you know, 
USA versus this and to say, you know what, what, what is there out there in the world? How do we come together and start to appreciate each other, not just accept and certainly not tolerate? How do we appreciate each other? And why is this conversation so important? I think in the, in the realm, uh, as we become professionals in the space of behavioral health, we want to help, right? We want to help. We have learning and knowledge and experience. We're like, no, no, I know what to do, how I can fit, you know, fix this person doing air quotes, that is. And sometimes we get away from saying that, no, we might be perpetuating some of those behaviors that cause an individual to have those behavioral health issues if it was around drawing them to substance abuse and the like. And we may be perpetuating some of that in our actions and behaviors. And for us to be mindful of just because, well, I did this particular treatment for this individual, it's not apples to apples. It's not cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. How do we look at what that individual needs? It's, It's about how do we in our organizations, in the culture, in the spaces that we continue to embrace each other and our differences and being noticing those differences of that, that each other brings in that space. And then finally, how do we just restore people to hold? So I think that's why that conversation is important to me to share uh, some of my experiences, hopefully hear some experiences of other and answer any questions that they may have. And it's this work that we're doing together. Well, Thank you so much for taking some time out of your afternoon to chat with me. Everyone can tune in to your webinar. It is called Community of Practice, Equity, Inclusion, and Behavioral Health Work, and it's taking place on July 21st. So we'll chat with you again soon. Looking forward to it. And thank you so much, Annie. Great to meet you. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to just share and learn from others. 